and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is James Atkin. Now James was the lead singer of the band EMF. Now EMF had the smash hit Unbelievable back in 1991. We all know the sampling of Andrew Dice Clay in that song. We talk about how they got the approval of Dice. They released three albums in the 90s and they took a hiatus. They reformed a couple of times, but James now is releasing music solely. His latest album, Popcorn Storm, came out recently. It's very good. Check it out. We talk about how he came up with that peculiar title. But his everyday job, he's a school teacher. We talk about how that came about and just how his life has changed. Any regrets from his EMF days. James, super nice guy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation. So James, uh, your latest album, I guess we can still call them albums these days, right? Uh, Popcorn Storm, which is really fantastic. Um, the the cover, and I guess one of the, the videos, Rise, you ha- you're you in an interesting uh, bunny costume. What's the whole uh, premise of that? <laughs> um, totally by mistake. It was um, the, the, the art guy who has done my last few albums came up with some imagery for the for the front cover of the album which was a bunny looking out to sea and i thought wow that's that's kind of really emotive so um we had to think of some video ideas i thought well why not just get a bunny suit um obviously we haven't got much of a budget so a bunny suit was in you know affordable yeah. and then we just we're, and then me just running around the yorkshire dales which is a national park in the north of england Right. You, you had a budget for the costume, but not an actor to play it. So you, you had to wear the suit, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a, I had a, a bunch. That was about it, actually. We met the, the guy who filmed it was, um, he was actually an old acquaintance from a couple of decades earlier. And he, he kind of got in touch out of the blue, this guy called Stephen Payne, who was a video director. And he, he sent me a video of a band I was in, in like the late 80s. And it was just, I was just, wow, this is mad. And he goes, oh, I also did a video for you for Search and Destroy when I was living in L.A. And he goes, have you thought about a video for your new, for this, a track off your new album? And I was going, yeah, that'd be amazing. But obviously, I, you know, I can't, you know, videos cost a lot of money. But he was going, well, I'll come up. I'll come to the Yorkshire Dales. He had a drone, which makes things look brilliant already right. and makes makes it look like you spent money on it so we we had a drone and we were flying around the Yorkshire Dales and me dressed up as a bunny and it worked <laughs> yeah no the, the, the video of Rise is, is fantastic and everyone check it out it's on YouTube uh how, how was wearing that costume was it comfortable I mean I imagine being in England it wasn't so hot <laughs> No, I mean, the thing about the north of England, it's cold. and uh, So, yeah, I didn't have any problems about wearing it for 12 hours and getting sweaty or anything. It just kept me warm. I did get it a little bit muddy, which was a bit of a problem because when I hired it from the um, the highest thing, the lady says, whatever you do, don't get it muddy. And I was like, yeah, I, I'm just going to use it inside. Do not worry. <laughs> um, and then after a few hours, it was just covered in mud, which kind of added to the effect. Um, but... Um, I took it back, uh, I managed to clean it off and it was fine and then I noticed a few months later that the lady from the video shop had obviously found the video and posted it on her Facebook account so she must have been quite happy. So Yeah. yeah. I, I haven't been back since though. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to do another video, would you do a bunny costume or what, what costume would you wear next time? <laughs> well, funny enough, it's um, I've just been putting some artwork together for the, a new album and it's... Uh, it's amazing how things organically grow. This the new album is 
It's called Aeris Pagan. I haven't told anyone that. It's still Ooh. kind of in its yeah, right. it's in its uh, early stages. But we've done some artwork, and it's based around sort of space travel. So I think the next one will be a astronaut costume running around the Yorkshire Dales. Similar oh. thing, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> keep it simple. A theme, but simple. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine uh, you, if you get that muddy, you can just say, oh, you know, on the moon or the other planet, there was, it was a very muddy planet, so I, I had a... Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, the, the current album, uh, Popcorn Storm, uh, mm. how did you get that title? It's a very interesting title. Yeah, um, well, what it was, I had a friend, um, a guy who drums for me. Um, we do a lot of live stuff together. He's got a young daughter, and his young daughter said to him one day, oh, daddy this is a popcorn storm or let's do a popcorn storm. And he told me that and I was going, well, that's amazing. What, where is that from? Um, and I asked, would she mind if I used it? And she said it was cool. We actually credited her on the album. <laughs> um, we did double check to make sure it wasn't any um, kids TV shows right. or stuff like that, but it seemed, seemed legit. So yeah, just come from this girl called Umi, who um, I thank very much for it. Yeah, it's a very interesting title. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, hopefully she can work with you in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, her, her dad is a very talented drummer, so uh, yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, got, I've got young children myself now, and I'm thinking, gosh, these are, you know, they're getting to the age now where at that age I was in rehearsal sheds and rehearsing and stuff like that, so it won't be long. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I have them too, yeah. Have, yeah. You, um, have you ever, like, decided to like work in like children's tv shows like, with children's music at all no not <laughs> at all i <laughs> i spent many years watching really bad kids tv shows when my little ones were growing up and it was mind-numbing <laughs> yeah. yeah you know and, and sometimes you get those steam songs or songs stuck in your head and you want to just bang oh. your head against the wall <laughs> yeah there was one called fireman sam i don't know if you'd have that in the u.s no uh, but it was quite an emotive sort it sounded like an oasis song it was brilliant <laughs> right <laughs> but you know i'm always keeping an ear out for little ideas if there's any bits i can sample or anything but uh yeah, Thomas the Tank Engine hasn't quite made it in, on, the, on the album yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I guess we can blame you Brits for, you know, bringing Thomas over to us because, oh, my God, my, my son, who is almost 15 now, he that was his favorite show, and those shows were so unbearable to watch. <laughs> oh, it's expensive. I actually, I actually had a friend who made the Thomas the Tank Engine DVDs. Wow. The, well, they obviously comp compiled them, but at the start of them, they used to do a little sh short film about a family. And we, <laughs> he asked, he says to me and my wife, my kids, do you want to come? And we had to go to Thomas Land, and we had to film this little intro to a Thomas DVD <laughs> of us getting on a train, buying tickets from the conductor, one of the Thomas trains, because they have Thomas-themed train steam parks up here and okay. stuff um, so i am actually on a thomas the tank engine dvd oh uh, we, 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 <laughs> we probably have that because oh we, we have so many of those dvds like you know running around the house yeah somewhere. check yeah. it out it's called i think it's called thomas's great day out or something so uh yeah, yeah that were the family the the, the the family going out on thomas and uh, yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah they used to have like those like thomas like you know, like those Dale Thomas around, you know, around the state. So every time we would come to near our area, we would take our son, and you can ride Thomas or do whatever. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was pretty unbearable. And like the movie theater by our house every Saturday morning would show a Thomas movie, and 
I would love to take my son because I can just sleep for like 45 minutes to an hour and a half. It, it was fantastic. Yes. Bit of downtime, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it was great, yeah. But yeah. yeah, and now all the movie theaters by us have the reclining seats you can get comfortable. They, back then they didn't have it, so I kind of wish they had it back then because my, my sleep would be mm. much better than just sitting straight up. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, enough of Thomas, because now now I'll get those songs stuck in my head all day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, go, can... yeah, going back to, to your career, um, like mm. when did you first like get involved in music? Like, who were some of your influences? Um, well, I was always very passionate about music, going right back to, I guess, when I was eight, nine years old. My grandmother gave me a load of 50s rock and roll records and I remember I used to just listen to them obsessively over and over again um, in a kind of strange way I did appreciate the music but I just used to have I used to kind of put myself in a little bit of a, a trance and imagine me playing or singing these songs in front of an audience and it was quite a bizarre sort of concept of listening to music um, so I've, I've always and then as I got older into secondary school, we kind of, kind. Of, I was actually a goth at one point. Do you know what? Do you, do you have goths in America? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I was into. <laughs> yeah, dressing all in black and spiking my hair. Exactly. Up. Um, yeah. All look like Robert Smith. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was all over Robert Smith, Echo and the Buddy Men, Sisters of Mercy. Right, yeah. um, it got me in trouble at school because I used to go to school with my hair spiked up. Um, <laughs> And then one day, I mean, I know I'm a school teacher now, I'm, right. I'm sure we can talk about this a bit, but yeah. one day I was skiving, I was skiving off school and um, the headmaster and the deputy head used to drive around the town picking up all the people skiving off school. <laughs> when they picked me up, I'd, I'd just been to a Woolworths, or I suppose, I don't know what you, a, oh, yes. a shop, a Walmart, and I'd bought some hairspray right. to spike my hair up and they pulled me in. And then they took me into the office, and then they were convinced that I'd been sniffing this hairspray. And I was trying, and I was trying to explain. I said, "Look at me! I am a goth. Look at my hair." And they were going, "Well, we don't know what that is." You know, they were quite Victorian. Right. Um, and they actually, they actually expelled me because they thought I was um, sniffing solvents. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, but I was just a goth. Um, but after that, we kind of got into. Guitar-y indie music, indie beat, indie music was massive in the eighties. Uh, the Smiths, right. um, and then for some reason, dance music hit us like a truck. We kind of got really in. First of all, I, I suppose New Order was the kind of bridge with their dance yeah. sensibilities. But then it was all about Blair It Beach, Chicago House, yeah. uh, Detroit techno, and it was like, yeah, we just love dance music as we still do. Yeah, it's it's amazing how like Joy Division kind of evolved into New New Order, you know, kind of like, you know, Joy Division being, I guess, sort of goth maybe, you know, very you know depressing pretty pretty much music, and then all of a sudden you know the dance music from New Order. Yeah, it's incredible, really, isn't it? I mean, I I do kind of class them as two completely different bands, and Joy Division kind of missed me by, and I talk to people now when I say, oh, I love New Order, they go, well. Yeah, but Joy Division better. Joy Division are brilliant. Right. I was like, but it kind of didn't, you know, it didn't make the connection like New Order did. I, I yeah. guess it's just when it hit me at a certain yeah. age. But there was a few early New Order albums like Technique, right. where they went off to Ibiza. They were obviously completely off their heads when they were recording it, <laughs> and and that, you know, that's that kind of resonated with me at the time. So and that kind of bridged us into 
into the dance music and probably the biggest influence on us i would say as a band right yeah no there's some similarities i can you know pick up that uh now how did you meet the other guys in uh, emf well we were school friends we all went to school together apart from ian who was the guitarist and principal songwriter he lived up the road in the nearest city called gloucester um, at, when I was still at school, I had a Saturday job in a music shop in Gloucester selling guitars, and um, he used to come in. He was like a bit of a hero. Right. Uh, he was only a couple of years older, but when you're that age, that's quite a big thing. Yeah. And he was in a band, and they were doing stuff. They had a record deal. They'd just been on tour with a band called Squeeze, and he was kind of a little bit of a hero. I'd actually met him. A couple of years earlier, when I was doing my GCSE music, because I got invited to a classical guitar recital, and he was actually he was actually a trained classical guitarist. So I saw him when I was younger. Um, I'm making him out like he's really old, basically, right. <laughs> twenty-two years old. Yeah. But you know, but uh, to us, because we where we lived, it was very rural. We were proper country bumpkins, like you know, rednecks. Or, right. And, the, and the, the town up the road was a bit more sophisticated. And this this is where Ian came from. And uh, so me working in the shop, I got to get to know Ian. Um, and that was kind of where me and Ian's relationship started. I did hassle him to because I'd always played in bands and me and the other members of VMF sat Terry and Mark had always been in bands at different times together all at time together um, we got a band together called well I don't think it was called EMF but the idea was there the whole sort of ethos of what we wanted to do right. um, but we were we had no songs we were just joking around we just used to jump up and down the settee in my mom's house dress up get drunk not really anything going on and i persuaded ian to come down um thankfully he did and he saw something in us i don't know what he saw but he was just like so after that we got a little bit more serious and that was how emf was born right so was that your post goth look when you guys met <laughs> Yeah, we'd, we'd left the goth behind. By that point, it was all about R.E.M. and the Smiths. Right. Um, but we'd also, it was the time when we were discovering dance music. So when me and Ian sat down to write songs, obviously the band he'd been in before was a very guitar indie band. And I said, no, look, Ian, we need to do four to the floor techno right. acid has music. Um, and he, he just nodded and says, yeah, okay. And then we kind of, sort of molded the two it's a bit of a melting pot um he's really good at songs putting songs together but then i'd say no we need like house pianos on it we need synthesizers um and that's kind of how the sound kind of happens were you playing any instruments back then or were you just basically a vocalist um well i was always a guitarist i loved playing guitar i had sang in a few bands um when we managed to get some emf rehearsals together I wasn't singing at that point. There wasn't a singer. I was playing guitar. I think Zach was playing guitar. Ian was playing guitar. Derry was playing bass. Um, I'm not sure if Mark was at that rehearsal, the drummer. But we kind of soon realised, look, if we're going to put a band together, we need to get some proper, you know, find right. our roles, really. We can't just have three guitarists and no singers. So reluctantly, I said, look, okay, I'll sing. So I put the guitar down. And that was kind of the end of yeah. my guitar guitaring right. career. Um, and I, I was a very reluctant singer. I was, never really thought I was any good. Um, but I, it's kind of. I'm glad I kind of did it because it, it was definitely the best job in the band. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
when you were playing those like early gigs, were you ever, ever like nervous, you know, stepping out, like being the lead man? Yeah, I was really nervous. I was really uncomfortable front man. Um, sometimes I'd love it. I'd love it when I lose myself in the music, and that did happen a lot. But a lot of the time, I felt you know a little bit sort of uncomfortable with it, which I guess added to the charm of what I was trying to do. Really, I kind of I haven't really got any regrets there because I think if I was if I had been a really overconfident front man, it would have been a completely different vibe to everything and I and I think it worked in my favor although at the time it was um really hard work right and like you know back then they would call it kind of the second like British evasion you know with you guys and like Jesus Jones like Happy Mondays and like stereo MCs now did you kind yeah. of like um know those bands you kind of you know interact with them you know as you're making the way up um yeah we did I mean a lot of those bands had been... I didn't come across the Happy Mondays that much. That was kind of a different scene. We were always right. classed as a Manchester sort of baggy acid house band, but we that wasn't really our scene. But certainly bands like the Stereo MCs, Popwell itself, Carter. When we went to America, we were being very successful and we insisted on bringing British bands over to play with us. So we did like you know, a few weeks with the Stereo MCs supporting, playing with us, um, and all these other bands. Uh, so Jesus Jones never did any shows together, but even Jesus Jones were kind of, we didn't mingle that much, although I did become best friends with them for many years afterwards, right. um, and still am. Um, but at the time, our paths didn't cross, and they were kind of our closest. It was a, not a little bit of rivalry, the press wanted to paint a little right bit of rivalry between us but um we certainly you know we, we borrowed we did we did they did influence us i'm gonna say we borrowed their ideas but right. <laughs> yeah. they 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 influenced us especially they had a, a single out called info Frico, and Derry dragged me down to uh, the west country to go and see this band but at this point i don't think we had emf together or we had the idea of emf and i i saw this band and it was enlightening what they were doing with the electronics and the the Break beats and the guitars. Um, so yeah, Jesus Jones was probably a big influence. Yeah. Was there ever a time where, like, you know, maybe the press or someone confused you for them, and vice versa? Yeah, I mean, we were very, very similar. Um, I, I don't know if that was on purpose, but right. we kind of even our image and the the way that the members of the band, you know, the same amount of members in the band, the same lineup of instruments, same kind of sound. Uh, yeah, I think they were, yeah, it's a bit funny. I mean, I don't know. I don't know who want to say who was the best. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, but um, I'm, yeah, it's funny. We were like, we were kind of, we, we had a little bit more song based, I think. We were kind of a bit more, we had a bit more song sensibilities with Ian's writing talents. I think, you know, that was the thing about EMF, really, the songs. Yeah, no, absolutely. They, they really stood out. And speaking of the songs, like, how did you guys first get signed to uh, your record deal? Well, we were very cocky when we got together. <laughs> we went around and told everyone we were the greatest band on the planet. Right. We were just young kids. Um, we... When Ian got involved, we went and booked a gig at a local pub down the road. It was the infamous, it was called the Bilson. Um, 
we didn't really have any songs at that point, so we wrote 10 songs. We went and played our first show. It was absolutely rammed because we'd been going around telling everyone how great we are. <laughs> but we'd only, just, we'd only just left school as well, so we had, you still have a lot of contacts with friends and groups and people. And so we booked a gig, about 300 people turned up. It was mayhem, and we thought, oh, so we're onto something here. Um, so I think it was either Ian or Mark had a contact in the industry he came down and saw us we got some management and then record labels major record labels start getting very interested very quick yeah and then you know that album became schubert dip which was absolutely fantastic and we all know unbelievable i mean it's 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 how um like surreal was it that your debut album gave you gave us the you know the world unbelievable which was a massive hit in this country and around the world you guys probably thought it was so easy right (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess so i mean we it all just happened really quick it was a whirlwind i mean from the space of writing those songs and you know it was only a year we'd recorded them and we'd released the album um and it just skyrocketed really quick so from the birth of the bands although we'd been playing for years in different bands and different lineups it happened so quick and you know unbelievable didn't really stand out as the big tune but certainly not to me uh, but there was obviously something in there that connected with people yeah and you know the, the lyrics your your vocals and the sampling of andrew dice clay who was by then i think he was like the biggest comedian at least in i know in america you know, i don't know mm. how, how big he was in the world i'm sure he, he was he was fairly big as well uh how did that sampling come about um, well, we certainly hadn't heard that much of Andrew Dice Clay. I think it came, it may have come from Derry or the producer, Ralph Jessard. Um, we were always searching around for good samples to put on the songs. Um, we kind of thought that gives us the modern edge. I mean, it was like the early 90s when sampling was still, you know, a bit of a novelty right. um, and finding really good samples that really worked. Um, I'm not quite sure where it came from. I know that once we'd recorded it, I don't think we'd cleared the sample, but by chance, the first time we went over to America to talk to some record labels, we met him in a um, a parking lot by the <laughs> comedy store, and we ran over to him and just says, look, we've got this song, we've used your, your, bit of your voice, and he was just like, yeah, go on, just do what you do. I don't think he swore at us. He probably might have swore at us. But, right, yeah. Um, and he said, just go and, just go and clear it with um, Def Jam, I think it was Rick Rubin, um, and there was no problem. And I, I, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be a massive hit. So, right. <laughs> but I think it's been bene- it was it was kind of beneficial to him a little bit. I know for years he actually told everyone that we wrote the song about him and it was for him, right. and he used to use it as his music to come on stage with. Um, but I haven't heard from Frey. Is he still around? Is he? Does yeah. he still I mean, he, do the know, circuit? he kind of you know dropped out of the scene for a while, and he was starting to make a comeback. Now he had, he had like mm. a TV show and like one I don't know one of the cable networks. He, he's doing stand up again, but right. yeah, I mean, but like you know how at PC the you know the the, the world is now. I don't think his uh, comedy is going to fly as much as it used to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It. Yeah. I mean, it was quite close to the boat. It was outrageous yeah. at the time, wasn't it? You know? Oh yeah, I, yeah. Mm. My friends and I would listen to that album all the time. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Now, unbelievable was a great song, and I'm sure it would have probably hit number one regardless of the sampling. But do you think that certainly helped the song? Oh, I'm 
I guess so. I, I mean, it, it adds it adds a great atmosphere. It's a perfect sample for that song. Um, I think maybe the song still would have done quite well without it, but it certainly it it works. I mean, the same as everything about that song just fits together perfectly. When I pull it apart occasionally because I've got all the parts on the computer, and the, even the drum loop is perfect for that time that little bit of swing on there and the guitar riffs and the house piano and the samples and the, the synthesizers plodding away it's kind of got it's got it all really that ticks all the boxes for that time yeah it, it did it's like a perfect storm you know it really it really is uh, mm. yeah now was there ever a time you know since that the album that song came out that you kind of like I need a break from it. I, I can't listen to it. I just, I, I gotta like step aside from it. Yeah. For many years I, I didn't, I couldn't listen to it. Um, <clears throat> I, yeah, I find it, I find it a bit hard to listen to them. I can't really hear them anymore. They've been in my life so long. Right. I just, it's just like a noise. It's like a picture on a wall that you walk past. So you never really look at it anymore in your house. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just there. Um, I don't really listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But when you um, like perform solely now, like in support of like Popcorn Storm and like you know, your other work, yeah. Do you like is that required song for you to play, or is that just strictly I'm only playing that with EMF? No, I mean, unfortunately, when promoters book me, they say, "Will you do some EMF tunes?" Right. Um, so I've got a few EMF tunes that I put in the set, and it's really funny. It's kind of 
however much I play my solo stuff and people love it, as soon as I do unbelievable, that's when the the iPhones come out. And, yeah, of you know, and people, that's when people dance. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, right, okay. Um, but hey, that's it's good to have a tune like that. I'm glad I have got one like that because if uh, you know, there's plenty of other artists and bands who didn't have the big hits. You know, so I can't really moan. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember where you were the first time you heard that on the radio? Um, not really. I mean, when we were, it got released when we were doing a little tour of the UK with an artist called Adamski, um, and it was a fantastic tour. We were on a, like a little mini bus, um, just traveling around the UK, getting in loads of trouble. It's the first time we'd really been away from home, right. staying in cheap motels, and <laughs> it was wild. And as that was, as we were on that tour, the single was being released then it was starting to get radio play in the UK and we were starting to get magazine covers um, and within the space of that three or four week tour we'd gone from being completely unknown to doing gigs I think the London show was the last one to being you know people going absolutely mad for us so it was funny to be out on the road and see see the success in front of you as it was happening right and you know you came over to the states and toured and performed performed the late shows and stuff did you like really appreciate like the success back then or take it in or it's just like you wish you would have more? No, I certainly, I certainly, I mean, I knew it was special, um, but I was kind of sort of just up in my own little world, really. It was quite a stressful time being a front man. Um, you know, everything was new. Um, it was, I wish I'd... I wish I'd kind of enjoyed it a bit more. Certainly when we got to America, because we were doing, we did quite a few six-week tours on a on a tour bus, and I say that to people now, they go, "Well, that must be the most wildest thing in the world," right. and it and it was. And certainly, like the other members of the band were going crazy and living it up, and you know, doing everything rock and roll stars should do. Where I was a little bit introverted, I was, you know, stressed, a bit worried about doing gigs. Um, I was way too moany. I must have been an absolute nightmare, you know, just full of myself. Where in, right. in hindsight, I should have just gone, right, this is going to be great. Let's just really enjoy it. You know, all these people have come to see the band. What are you worried about? Um, but pff, that's my only regret, really. I should, yeah, I wish I'd partied harder. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess now, I mean, you know, we, you, could, you could always, you know, re revisit it with your solo gigs, right? <laughs> I can, but it's funny about something about my age now. If I party now, yeah. it takes it takes a week to get over it. And also, I, I feel like I've got the party out of my system now. It's certainly when the band finished. It's you know, yeah. I, I lived on the fruits of the success and kicked back for about ten years, just living at large. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, 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 but yeah, the, the band did something you know back then that few bands who had a successful debut album did. They instead of releasing a full length album, you know, immediately you guys did a uh, an EP called Explained, which mm. include you know we talked about the song before a little bit, uh, which is my favorite song, Search and Destroy. Um, mm. Yeah, what was the thought process behind releasing an EP? You know, like basically kind of a bridge between the two albums.
Well, we've been touring a lot. We've toured non-stop for a year. We've done lots of gigs, a few tours of America, South America, Japan, uh, Australia. We'd, we'd, we'd kind of grown as a band. We were a very different band to what we were a year earlier when we'd just done Schubert Dip. We've, we've kind of... I think that's how bands really nail it, playing together and becoming really comfortable with each other. So I think that EP, the Unexplained EP, is a product of a band who is completely on it, you know, playing every night. When we got back to our little town in the West Country, we built ourselves a rehearsal studio. We set up a little bit of a mixing desk and some recording equipment in there. And we actually wrote those songs as a band playing them in a room and I think that came across it was kind of a quite a different angle to Schubert Dip where everything was a little bit new and testing the water we were kind of you know we'd established ourselves as a really good rocking live band and when we go back and watch the footage of some of those gigs after we've been playing for months and months on end the, the band is on fire and I think that's really that really got caught when we recorded those tracks and certainly into the next album yeah was um the reception to that EP like favorable? I'd say I really don't remember. Well, it wasn't really favorable. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was okay. It was okay. I mean, we got labeled with this pop sort of label, right. um, which we we never were. Every time we, it, I mean, it, looking back at it now, I shouldn't have moaned because press, good press, you know, is is good. But we were getting put in teeny magazines, right. um, and we had to explain ourselves. Seemed like every interview, look, we're not a manufactured band. We don't have a stylist. We don't have a choreographer. Um, we are just like you know, five kids have just been around the world playing every night on a rocking stage. You know, being kind of rock and roll. Um, and I think we lost a fan. We didn't lose a fan base, but we maybe confused a fan base where are you what are you are you this pop bands or are you you know a, a band we aspired to be like which we probably were like um so it was i think we confused quite a lot of people with that ep yeah and then uh, stigma came out which i still think is you know the band's best album it's, it's fantastic um now that confused fans i would imagine too and which kind of led <laughs> yeah. to you know uh i guess a dip in you know sales and whatnot and you know you know the album charting um do you do you appreciate that album too i do it's probably the one i'm most proud of um it's the only album i can listen to from start to finish right. it's not accessible to someone who was expecting unbelievable the first right. track on there they're here i think that the vocals are distorted it's really yeah. heavy riffs um but it was kind of what we were about at the time so music that exists simply for its own sake.
labels like hits and yeah. they like you to make the money yeah. um, so I'm surprised we carried on after that album really I think that these days if you produce an album like that I know they say oh, bands aren't allowed to develop but we were certain, certainly allowed a little bit of time to experiment um, unfortunately we just got <laughs> even darker though <laughs> yeah I guess it's the success of Unbelievable you know, on Schubert Dip allowed you to make that album as well as uh, the third one Cha 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 yeah yeah. Yeah, and th that one kind of, I guess, was that signaling the demise of the band, the third album? The which one? Sorry, the third album. The third one, yeah. Yeah, I think by that point we'd all grown differently, and we distanced ourselves a little bit. We weren't those five best friends where the only, the most important thing in the world was the band. I think we kind of drifted off personally from each other. Um, people had different interests. Uh, you know, some had settled down with girlfriends, bought houses. We weren't young kids anymore. And we just lost our way and our vibe. And it wasn't really, it, it just didn't feel like EMF anymore. Yeah. When that happened, did you kind of step away from, you know, the, the music scene for a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, we tried to keep it going, but we lost a record deal, which was quite hard. Um, we did a few gigs. Um, yeah, I did. I, I did well, what I did, I kind of bought a load of equipment and set it up in my flat in Camden, and I was just really into dance music and making electronic music so I, I carried on doing that um, managed to get a record deal with Polydor um, and I sort of just honed my craft of making records which was quite nice Was there any time that you thought maybe I could you know, produce another artist? Yeah I mean I'd, I'd still like to do that but it's, it's tricky and there's right. loads of people who do, do it really really well I mean, I did, I did play in a, I joined another band, which was the best thing I could do. It was a band, I don't know if they really were that big in America, it was a band called Bentley Rhythm Ace. Yeah, I've, I've heard of you guys, yeah. <clears throat> well, they were my best friends, and they, they were sort of, they, I, could, I started playing for them, so I got to tour the world again, right. but this time not as a singer, just as a keyboard player and with some mates, and that was kind of, that was the best bit of being in the music industry. It was so much fun. Did Did you appreciate the touring then more more so than when you toured with EMF? Uh, yeah, I did. Although it was just partying, right? So I can't. I I can't remember much about it. But it was <laughs> um, the the pressure was off, right? So the um, so I just partied a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And then these days, besides being a solo artist, you're also a hmm. uh, school teacher, correct? I am a school teacher, yeah. Yeah, how did that come about? Um, well, about 13 years ago, I, me and my wife, she was my wife at the time, we decided to move out of London. Um, I always wanted to live in the countryside, so we, we moved to the north of England, to a beautiful part of the world. Um, 
And after a couple of years, I, I did envisage just retiring and kicking back and not doing any much. <laughs> but uh, I kind of got I got involved doing some voluntary work at an urban arts centre, and then I fell into teaching. Um, it was good, and then I went off and did a teaching degree, and now. Ten years later, I'm a fully fledged school teacher, which I love. It's brilliant. Yeah. Did anyone like when you first started like know? Oh my God, it's you know James Ashman from uh, EMF. Did anyone pick up on that? Well, I mean, it's always been there, and it's always a bit of kudos, and it, I'm sure it's opened doors for me. I, right. I'm, the, I, I think the staff at the school I work in at the moment love the thought that you know there's an old pop star yeah. here. Um, so yeah I mean it's uh, and when I did my degree usually when you do a teaching degree you've also got to have a, a degree in your specialised subject that you're going to teach yeah. in and, and I, I hadn't had an education because I'd been a rock and roll star all right. my life but they let me the university said oh well you've got such an impressive professional background they let me do the teaching degree um, but also on that degree I had to do things like um, take my maths and my English again and, and really start from scratch because you know my whole life had just been about being in a band I, le well, I left school with nothing I'd right. never really had a job you know yeah. so um, but I you know I got my act together which was the best thing I ever did and it's it's very worthy being a teacher it's, it's fulfilling it's, it's a lot more fulfilling than things have been you know for quite a while <laughs> Right, so you, you you go to the job dressed up as goth with the the hairspray and the chemicals, everything. Like <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I have to. Uh... <laughs> yeah, but I know. I think they think I'm a bit of a rad teacher. I'm a bit, you know, yeah, a bit left field still. They kind of they let me get away with murder. I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I know it's like a generation ago, so the the students probably you know may have heard of the band, but not really know like who you guys mm. were, right? Yeah, a few of the students know, but not many. It's not really on their radar. It's kind of, it's a different generation. The parents kind of know. Yeah. Some parents know. Parents' evenings can get a little bit weird. Right. Uh, getting asked for autographs. Yeah. And I'm just like, don't ask me for an autograph. I'm your, you know, I'm your, your kid's teacher. It's like, <laughs> right. it's weird. Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll have to sign a report card or whatnot, and you know they'll they'll take it and frame it because the graph <laughs> will be on there. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, the toughest thing is like I have to do things like playground duty and right. chase kids around for you know smoking or doing things, and I'm just like, this is really hard. I remember once I was really rock and roll, and yeah. I don't know far worse than these kids are ever ever yeah. done or do, I guess. But right. uh, yeah. so I have to check myself every now and again. Yeah, it's kind of come full circle, right? <laughs> it really has. Yeah. yeah, it's quite. That was the that was the hardest part, becoming an authoritarian and being, you know it's tricky especially yeah. when you're that's everything you stood against when you were you were younger exactly that just means that n the kids won't get away with anything because you know all the tricks <laughs> i do know all the tricks yeah, yeah. but um, but i also know you know they're just kids and i was a kid once, right exactly and, you know yeah what well, it's all right it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a phase that they learn from it it's, it's fine of course it is yeah and i you know i hated school i got thrown out of school so i can't really preach really yeah exactly <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, as long, yeah, as long as they don't find out that you got thrown out, right? <laughs> well, this is the thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have any of them, like, kind of, who, who want to pursue music kind of talk to you about it? Can kind of get your advice? 
in the business? Um, yeah, I mean, they do. I do a lot of sixth form A level students, which I don't know what you'd call them in the US, but they're they're the old ones, and right. they do a couple of years before going off to university. And they, I've had quite a few students who have gone off and followed their ambitions of like office of music schools and music colleges and stuff. Um, as far as giving them advice, it's a very different world to what it was 30 years ago when you could actually sell records and yeah. and record labels were in existence it's now it's a bit i kind of i mean i try and stay up a, a little bit on it myself because I, I release my own records as self-releases so i know a little bit about how you can do that using how social media and digital marketing is really important um but you know it's changing all the time yeah, I mean, if if you were starting out now, would you kind of seek the record deal, or you would kind of just go to like the internet, go to YouTube, and just post anything and everything that you have? Um, or if both? I was young, <laughs> if I yeah, young, and if I had the energy, probably go out and play as many gigs as you can because that's how you really learn your craft. Um, probably it's all about fan base, so build a fan base uh, online through social media. And that's how you'll get it. And then, because a, a big thing about the record labels at the moment is that before they sign an artist, they'll go and have a look at how many YouTube hits they're getting right. or Instagram hits they're having. So you've really got to do all the groundwork before record labels will take a chance. They won't take risks anymore. Um, and you've also got to, got to have the songs written and produced and almost recorded ready yeah. for a label to pick up now it's not like it used to be where you could go over a couple of chords and a little bit of a melody and then they put you in a studio of a producer and engineer and stuff it's it's changed quite a lot right so it's like the artist has to do all the the legwork and all the lifting before and the art the record company just okay we'll sign you and do nothing else <laughs> it does seem like that it just seems like they they, they haven't really got much risk um yeah, you've got to kind of put it out there yourself and do your own thing. Yeah. Now, with, with Popcorn Storm, now, like, what is, like, your expectations for the album? I mean, it's fantastic. I know you released it, you know, on your own. But, like, how wide do you think it can go? Um, my expectations are quite low. Right. <laughs> I think they have to be. I've been... Yeah. I've done this so long now where I know um, if I did have expectations, I think I'd be kind of let down right. a lot. I mean, I'd do it because I love it and I guess I can't stop making records it's kind of in my DNA just making music um, as far as record sales go it's a tricky business um, digital downloads do not make you a lot of money right. um, physical copies hardly sell I mean I, it's tricky people don't even buy CDs anymore oh, I know no. vinyl's a bit of a, a combat but yeah. <laughs> to, to, to press vinyl's really expensive so you kind of got to think about it a little bit and do you do your marketing research a little bit and stuff yeah well i i know that cassette tapes won't make a comeback so we don't have to worry worry about those <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah now you you said you know the digital downloads and the streaming now it's kind of a double-edged sword because those you know i guess reach more people but you know you don't get really a a cut you know like you used to record sales but you get more people listening to to your work and it gets out there. Yes, but you're also fighting against right. hundreds of thousands of other people putting exactly. records out there. Yeah, so it's so true. It's yeah. become a little less exclusive, a piece of music. It's, it's almost become a little bit more throwaway, a piece of music, yeah. which is a shame. I know, it really is. 
Now, ha- have you thought about coming over to the States and, and performing in support of Popcorn Storm? Um, probably not as a solo artist, just because logistically right. it would be really, really difficult. Unless there was some sort of label interest or... Um, I think that'd be really tricky. There is always talk of EMF doing something. There's quite a, a quite a big thing for nostalgia yeah. tours and stuff at the moment. We we do a couple in the UK. There's one. I'm actually doing one this weekend called the Shine Festival. Okay. And it is and it is just '90s bands and it's a really it's a really good weekend. But there is there is some talk of doing one of those in America because I know I know you have them, don't you over there? Yeah, well, we do, and that it'll be it'll be awesome to you know see you and see the guys perform because you know those songs are still you know so memorable and they still touch so many people. And mm. you know, Popcorn Storm is great, so even if more people can discover that as well, it'd be fantastic. That'd be fantastic. I mean, I would love. I mean, I would love to to promote it a bit more over there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's tricky. It's tricky. I mean, I'm a family man now, and just yeah, it's hard. The, yeah. Thought, the thought of leaving the house and doing a tour is a bit of a. Oh, I'm not sure I could do that. Right, and you'd also have to wait till the school goes on holiday to tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, I um. I do, I do wangle most of the gigs on the weekends or summer holidays or half-term breaks. Occasionally, I have to go and see the headmaster and say, "Look, you remember I was a rock and roll star? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I need to go." <laughs> exactly. Go and do some gigs. Yeah. Uh, they they're usually quite cool. Like I say, they let me get away with a lot. Right. As as long as you you know perform in the schoolyard once a month, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, they yeah they do wheel me out every so often to do bits and bobs. Yeah. Sure. But James, this, this was great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, Noel. It's been amazing talking to you. And a special thanks to James for joining me today. Go check out Popcorn Storm. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at James Adkin Music. His website is also jamesadkinmusic.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first Noel19. Be sure to like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. If you don't have iTunes, not a problem. The show's on SoundCloud. It's also on Podbean. Go to livingmyyouth.theredlist.com for all your Living My Youth merchandise. A new episode comes out every Wednesday, and we'll see you next week.